Acts chapter 8, we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 13. And primarily, we're going to be looking at witchcraft and sorcery. Um, This is something that we don't usually talk about. But as as I sit in my office and I've been at the house this week, I've been down on my back, I've had a lot of time to think, how does this apply to us as Christians who profess Christ and who really don't have anything to do with witchcraft or sorcery? Well, it applies, it applies pretty heavily, and, and we're going to look at that today and see where that comes in to our lives. But first, let's do uh, a reading and then uh, a quick, very quick recap and get right into the text. Listen to what it says. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. May God bless the reading of his word. Two weeks ago, during our morning message, uh, two weeks ago during our morning message, we looked at the gospel going into Samaria. This is the third place that the gospel was said to go into. Remember that? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. So we see the Lord is working, and he is working here in order. And it is going into the places that he said it would go into. We saw that this place of Samaria held a lot of historical value for the Samaritans. You may not remember this, so I'm just going to very quick recap of just some of it, because I did a whole service on this. Uh, but this place of Samaria, they back before it was called Samaria, was called Shechem. It was the place where Abram received the covenant promise and the blessings from God in Genesis in chapter 12. This was also the place in Genesis in chapter 33 where Jacob or Israel built an altar in Shechem and worshipped God after he met with Esau, his brother, who he thought was going to kill him. After he wrestled with God at the brook Jabbok, he, he, his name was changed to Israel instead of Jacob. And so Israel goes and he, he meets with his brother. And after that, he settles into a place called Shechem, builds an altar there. And at that place, he called upon the name of the Lord. And so this was a very, very special place. Abraham received the promise. Here Israel is, and he is offering up sacrifice unto the Lord. This is the same place where Joshua built a memorial, Mount Gerizim. Shechem was at the bottom of that mountain. Mount Gerizim was the place where Joshua built a memorial. And he, on that memorial, put the law of God, and the people had to rehearse that in the ears of Joshua. They would, on one side of the mountain was Mount Ebal, and on the other side was Mount Gerizim. One side would rehearse it, and the other side would say, Amen. And so on that point, it is said that theologians would say that there was a temple that was built on Mount Gerizim, according to John in chapter 4, where the woman at the well was talking to Jesus at. She says, on this mountain our people will worship. 
We'll know when the true Messiah comes. It'll be on this mountain. She was talking about Mount Gerizim. And so this place holds a lot of historical significance for the Samaritans. Two weeks ago, we spoke about the place of Samaria and the hatred between the Samaritans and the quote-unquote full-stock Jews, full-blooded Jews. Today, we'll be looking at the people of Samaria a little more in depth. Now, remember, Philip held what position in the church? Philip. He was a deacon. He was a deacon in the church. And he went about preaching, doing the Lord's work. Persecution, hot persecution, scattered him. The apostles were left there in Jerusalem, and it scattered him. Persecution sent him away, and and the only thing that it did was spread the gospel even further. And this is the power of God. And so you have to understand that because of this persecution, people were scattered. And when they were scattered, they just spread it like a virus. Upon arrival, he began to preach. He began to preach of Jesus Christ. And he had great success in Samaria. Great success. One by one, people began to give their lives unto the Lord. They believed in Jesus and were baptized. And great joy filled the city. Verse 9. This is where our text picks up. Listen to what it says. Remember, how do we apply the, how, how do we apply the life of Simon the sorcerer, the man of magic, to our life? How do we do that? We're going to get to that. Verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. First red flag is that he practiced magic and he called himself great. Okay? That's the first red flag. Anytime you see somebody and they're practicing magic and they're calling themselves great, anytime you see somebody and they're calling themselves somebody great, there's a clear indication that that person is full of pride. Clear indication. That person is full of pride. And so we have to understand this Simon, he was a man that was, that was full of pride. He was saying that he was somebody that was great. Somebody that was great. And verse 10 says this. It says, they all paid attention to him. From the, greatest, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with magic. Here we're introduced to a counterfeit. A fake, a fraud, a wicked man that had made his way into the early church. He had made his way into the early church. And we have to realize that any time the gospel is preached in its entirety, we have to be ready for the counterfeit. We have to be ready for the counterfeit. Somebody that's going to be a counterfeit. Someone that the enemy is going to use to counterfeit and to be a replica of the truth, but yet they are fake. Because 
Satan's whole desire is to kill, steal, and destroy, to deceive, and to pull people away from the truth. And here we have this man who, in fact, is a counterfeit. Counterfeits look, act, and seem to be the real thing, but they just are not. Matter of fact, he he went right under the radar of Philip. There is no doubt in my mind that Philip was a man of God, that Philip was preaching the gospel, and he was full of the Lord. But yet this man went right under his radar. The apostles spot him for who he really is, because obviously the apostles had had superpowers. (laughs) Uh, And I I love to say that. It sounds funny, but it's true. Uh, But this man... He went right under the radar of Philip. So counterfeits, they look, they act, they seem to be the real thing, but they just are not. Luke, the writer of Acts, tells us that Simon of Samaria first, he was a sorcerer, a magician. Remember the three that, or we say three, remember the magi that came to visit Christ as a baby? He was a magi. He was was a magician. This man was a sorcerer, full of witchcraft, full of divination. Man of magic. Sleight of hand. Simple tricks, illusions. Now, I'm not saying that simple tricks and illusions, sleight of hand, I'm not saying that those things are are something that is, is terrible. I don't, I don't really necessarily like them, never really have. But to make a quarter disappear out from behind that kid's ear is something that's fun for the kids, and, and everybody knows that, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. We're talking about something much deeper than that. We're talking about something that is powered by the enemy. This is much deeper than just pulling rabbits out of a hat. Much, much deeper than just tricks or a simple illusion. Much deeper. The wizard, the wizard or the sorcerer practiced secret arts of Satan. This is what they were doing. Filled with wickedness and the wrath of Satan, they go about deceiving others. And it's clear who they prey on first. It's clear. They love to prey on the children first, don't they? The simpletons. They love to prey on the naive. Those that are gullible and will believe anything. These are the ones they trap first. But the scripture goes further than this. It goes further than this. It's not just about the simpletons that fall victim to these evildoers very quickly. It's not just about the naive or the gullible. But here in our text, it tells us, it tells us, from the least to the greatest, that they were amazed by Simon's power. They were amazed at Simon. He had them buffaloed. He had them He had them believing that what he was doing was legitimate and was true. 
And to some degree, by the power of Satan, what he was doing was sorcery. And I believe it. I believe he was using the power of Satan to do these things. Whatever they may have been, I believe it. He was filled with wickedness and the wrath of Satan and going about deceiving others. He deceived the simple, the naive, the gullible, but also he deceived those that had supposedly a lot of wisdom. Supposedly were smart. And so you say, well, he was just, he was just doing illusions. No, I believe it was much more than that. I believe he was truly practicing the work of Satan. From the least to the greatest, they both said that this man is the power of God. That is called great according to verses 10 and 11. So this was not just some sorcerer, some wizard. These people looked at him as if he was something great. Notice how the text is is written. Listen to what it says. And they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of of God that is called great. Now, we know the truth. And who do we call the power of God that is called great? Jesus. Theologians for a long time have have said, and I would agree with this, have said that the Samaritans believed that this could have been the one that was to come. This could have been the Messiah, their Messiah. Remember the woman at at John chapter 4, the woman at the well, she said, when the Messiah comes, he will tell us all things. So they were expecting a Messiah to come. And here in this text, the people called this man the power of God that is called great. This man was doing something. It wasn't just pulling rabbits out of hatch. It wasn't pulling quarters out of behind somebody's ear. He was practicing witchcraft. Practicing demonic powers. And I do believe them to be true. And we have to be very careful not, not to make sure, to, or to make sure that we're not around those things or watching those things. And this is nothing new. If you recall in Exodus, this is something that's been going on ever since the beginning. If you recall in Exodus, the magicians under control of Pharaoh. By Satan, the magicians, they did some secret arts too, didn't they? Remember when Moses came back? Moses came back and he had a rod and he threw it down on the ground and it became a serpent. And the magicians are like, ah, that ain't nothing. They grabbed their rods, they threw them down, they became serpents. But Moses ate theirs, remember that? (laughs) Just kind of say... I'm the boss. Then you move on a little bit further and the first thing you see is Moses and he is turning the water into blood. And then the magicians, they use their secret arts and they turn the water 
into blood as well, which I still don't understand why, because it just adds more blood to the water. They were literally doing these acts. Then the third thing that you see, if you move through the scripture in Exodus, you see is where, where Moses called for frogs to come out and they multiplied greatly on the land and they were in the beds and they were in the kneading troughs and they were everywhere. And then the magicians, they used their secret arts and made more frogs. At which Pharaoh says, ah, just Moses, get rid of them, not today, just we'll spend the night with them and tomorrow you can call upon the Lord and have him remove them. Duh. So they added more snakes, they added more frogs, and they added more blood, which none of it makes sense, but they did it. And then the fourth act that they tried to do was Moses called in and gnats came in and just flooded the place with gnats. And we have a little taste of that here in Louisiana because outside in March, April, and May, we have some of the craziest gnats that I've ever seen in my life that swarm your face. And people grow around with nets on their heads to try to keep them away. But it's true. That fourth plague, those gnats came in and then the magicians tried with their secret arts and they said, we can't do this. This is surely the power of God. So the Lord one-upped them. He showed them who was boss yet again. And we see this in Exodus and, it, and this theme runs through Scripture. You see magicians and you see the, the work of the occult and the work of demonic forces at hand. This man Simon in Acts 8 had power, no doubt he had power, but it was power that was demonic. It was not power from God, it was power that was demonic. Sorcery power. And I believe he used his power for multiple reasons. And that, that clearly are shown, I think, in the text, if we look at the text. The first reason I believe that he, that he practiced these was because these secret arts was because he was dead in trespasses and sins and his father was the devil. First and foremost, right off the bat. Dead in trespasses and sins, his father was the devil. He had given himself, well he didn't have to give himself because he was born this way, but he practiced these secret arts. He was full of sin, his father being the devil. First reason. Second reason I believe he did this was, was for money. I believe he did it for money. If you go into third world countries or even here in America, palm reading and all of this junk is a pretty lucrative business. Casey and I, when we were taking Isaiah or uh, Selah to eye therapy, there's a place on Bolton Avenue that is a psychic palm reader place. And I decided to go in to tell the people about Jesus. And the lady was at the counter and she said, yeah, I go to church. Sure. I go to such and such church here in Pineville. And she said, why are you here? And I just said, I just wanted to tell you about Jesus. And I looked up on the wall and just for a palm reading was $55. 
You understand what I'm saying? So this is, this is a really, really lucrative business. If you go overseas and you go into a place called Haiti, you go into the mountains of Haiti and you see that the high priests or the voodoo priests is what they're called. They use Catholicism as a cloak, but they really practice voodoo or just devil, devil worship. They, for a certain fee, for a certain amount of money, they will put a spell on somebody else. But you got to pay up first. Seen it with my own eyes. Not the actual spell, but seen them doing this. So you see this all over the globe. It's not anything that's new, and it's still being practiced today. It's a very lucrative business, and I believe that he did this for money. If you go down to verse 18 and 19, you'll see that he was all about money. He thought that if he gave uh, Peter and John money, that he could receive the Holy Spirit. And so here in this text, I believe that uh, Simon the sorcerer was, he was doing this, these tricks. Uh, he was doing this to add to his bag of tricks. He wanted, he, he did it for money. The third thing I believe Simon did these things for is because he wanted power and he wanted notoriety. He wanted power and notoriety among people. And he got it. It's called pride. Pride. And this will be leading up into where it becomes applicable to us. Verses 9 and 10 tell us this. From the least to the greatest, the people were amazed by him. Remember, he called himself somebody great. That is straight up pride. If you recall from John 4, the woman at the well believed that the Messiah would come. You fast forward three years and you see the people of Samaria and they have been following this man called great, Simon. I'm in agreement with many theologians who believe that they believe that this was possibly the, the Messiah for the Samaritans. However, we know that he wasn't. Verse 12, listen to what it says. But when they believed Philip as he preached and good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Even Simon the sorcerer believed and was baptized. It just wasn't true. Was it? <laughs> Just wasn't true. He believed and was baptized, and we and we have people, we have people like that today, who at one point in their life made a made a profession of faith, and they they came forward or they said something and made a profession of faith and were baptized, but that just really wasn't there. There really was no true repentance, no true confession of sin. It was just a formality, a checking of boxes, a getting off somebody off of your back. So nobody would be the wiser, so you could fly under the radar with nobody detecting that you were truly dead in your trespasses and in your sins and in your transgressions. 
Here, this man was false. He was fake. He was a wolf in sheep's clothing. Philip did not know that because he didn't know man's heart. This man professed Christ. He was even baptized. But saying words and getting in water does not make you saved. Nor does standing in a garage make you a car. Right? So it stands to be true. Simon was a counterfeit. He believed. He was baptized. But he was lost. He was a wolf in sheep's clothing. And Philip couldn't see it. You say... Pastor, you're you're supposed to believe, believe, believe. You always time preaching about believe. Yes, I am. I am. But we have to remember something. Believing in Christ comes with repentance, confession, and a true heart that has turned towards the Lord. This man hadn't much more been baptized than he was trying to buy the Holy Spirit from Peter and John. He was fake. That Simon was about to be found out for who he really was. He was a witchcraft, rebelling, con man, full of Satan, flying under the radar of the New Testament early church. We have pastors, pastors that are in this very same position, running a con show. Performing, exciting, moving to emotion. And all the while the money's put in the plate and they get a check for it. That doesn't sound too different than Simon, does it? Huh? Think about that for just a second. Doesn't sound too different. But Simon here was about to be found out. He was full of witchcraft, he was full of rebellion, and he was a con man. I believe all of us in here this day would say that witchcraft is truly a heinous sin, wouldn't we all? We would say it's heinous. That's the worst of the worst. Worshiping Satan, right? How do we apply this to us? The Word of God compares witchcraft to rebellion. How many people in here would say that rebellion is the worst of the worst? You don't really think about it, but when you start putting apples with apples in Scripture, you see that rebellion and witchcraft go hand in hand with one another. And so how do we apply this text to our lives? We've already said that we don't believe in witchcraft. We've said that it's evil. We've said that it's wrong. And we've said that we abhor it and put it away from us. And yet, Scripture teaches us that to rebel is as witchcraft. Satan was kicked out of heaven because of his rebellion. You want to talk about bad? Satan was kicked out of heaven because of his rebellion. Remember what was found in him? Pride. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden because of their rebellion. What was found in them? 
They wanted to be like God's pride. Cain was sent on run, away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power, sent on run, away from his parents, because he had killed his brother. Rebellion was found in Cain. Pride raised up in his heart. And instead of obeying the Lord, instead of obeying the Lord, the Lord even gave him a chance. And instead of obeying the Lord, he chose to to not obey him, but to rebel. Cain, sin is crouching at your door. You must master it. And instead of mastering it, he gave in to it and he rebelled against the Lord and he was kicked out from the presence of the Lord where they were bringing their sacrifices. And so the story goes. At the root of all of these examples of rebellion is pride. This is where it affects us. You say, I'm not a sorcerer. That's fine. I would agree with that. But we have to remember that pride, rebellion, if not kept in check, will come into the hearts of each and every one of us here today. Everybody. Pride pushes rebellion. Pride comes, causes people to become stiff-necked, rebelling against the truth that is before them. The truth is always before us. It's preached before us. It's in this book before us. But man, in his infinite wisdom, (laughs) thinks that he knows better. And then pride comes in. And we're found rebelling against the truth that is ever before us. This Simon thought he was really something great. He was full of pride. When we apply this text to us, we don't necessarily see anybody in our church practicing witchcraft. But if we examine the scriptures, we will find that rebellion is comparative to witchcraft. Rebellion is something that we can find fairly close to us. And if not careful, can be found in us. Right? By show of hands, how many people have rebelled against the Lord? I have. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. When I knew he called me to preach, it broke my heart that I ran from him and rebelled against him like Jonah did for six years. Scripture tells me that that rebellion is as bad as witchcraft. You think about that for just a second. The question is, how do we prevent this rebellion? How do we prevent this pride? 
Easier said than done, but the answer is very, very simple. By being obedient to the Lord. Obedient to His Word. Trusting and obeying in who He is. I've wished a thousand times that I would have surrendered to preach at 18. Over and over and over. It always comes back to me all the time. I feel like I'm six years behind. Always. But I rebelled against the Lord. I ran from Him. If I would have just been obedient. If I would have just surrendered. He would have been pleased with me. Without a doubt. Our Lord requires obedience rather than sacrifice. Cain brought sacrifice instead of obedience, right? So often we want to bring sacrifice to please God while the whole time what He wants from His children is the same thing that I want from my children. Obedience. I don't require my kids to bring me things and to give me gifts and to bring me money and to say, Dad, I made this for you. Do I love those things? Yes. You're more than welcome to give me gifts anytime you want, especially now that you're working. But what I require more of them and what I want from them more than anything is for them to obey me. When I tell them to do something, I want them to do it then. And the Lord doesn't expect anything less of His children. When we don't do those things, we are found rebelling against God, the very Creator of heaven and earth. And it puts us in very dangerous waters. Prolonging to obey God, all it does is makes that pride and that rebellion grow in our own hearts. Time teaches us a lot of things. Teaches us a lot. And one thing that I've learned from time and from the Word of God is that it's better to bite the bullet and to obey than to live a life in rebellion. Because you're not going to win. You just ain't. It's impossible. You're not going to win. Rebelling against the Lord is being defiant and obstinate against His will for our life. I cannot judge your life. I have to judge Matthew. I have to judge myself. But each and every one of us in here must judge ourselves to see if we are rebelling against the Lord or if we are being obedient to the call on our life that He has given to us. And that call may be as simple as obeying your parents. But He still calls us to it. 
Listen to this and I'm done. Go ahead and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. I'm going to read the passage that I've been referring to for the last 15 minutes. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Go ahead and turn there with me. It's in the Old Testament. Um, I'm going to give you just a second to get there. Joshua, Judges, Ruth. It's 1 and 2 Samuel after that. If you're there, say amen, please. 1 Samuel 15, I'm fixing to read that, but listen to what I have to say before I do. And I want you to pay careful attention to this. If we viewed disobedience and rebellion, if we viewed disobedience and rebellion just as bad as we do sorcery and witchcraft, if we truly kept this truth in our minds... I believe we would walk closer to the Lord, trusting and obeying Him. But we forget the severity of rebellion. We forget truly how bad it is. The Lord compares it to demonic activity. He compares it to witchcraft. Listen to what this text says. 1 Samuel chapter 15, beginning in 13, and I'm done. Listen to what it says. And Samuel came to Saul. Saul had been commissioned with doing away with the Amalekites, completely and utterly destroying everything. But Saul thought he knew better because he was full of pride. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. He thought he was really something. He thought he had done right. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? He's saying, Why in the world am I hearing sheep and cattle? He said, You know good and well, I have told you to completely annihilate the Amalekites. What is wrong with you, Saul? Saul thought he knew better. Saul thought by sacrifice... That he would please God, but that's just not true. Saul said, they have, been brought, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people, spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. You notice he said to the Lord your God, not to the Lord our God, to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. He said, stop it, Saul. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, speak. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? In other words, Benjamin was the smallest out of all of them. But yet he's the head of the tribes of Israel. He's the king of Israel. The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. In other words, do away with everything. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you, not, why did you pounce on the spoil and do what is evil in the sight of the Lord? 
And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, and the best of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Listen to what he says. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen than the fat of rams. Verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. And presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of God, word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul was dethroned, taken off of his throne because he disobeyed God. How do we apply Simon the sorcerer to us? Well, we may not be in open witchcraft or sorcery, but in disobedience, that's a whole other story. Rebellion against God, a whole other story that I think a lot of us could find ourselves in very quickly. And we need to be very careful because the, because the, the, <laughs> the consequences for rebellion against the Lord can be very great. Take warning today. Rebellion is as witchcraft. Take that serious. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we just thank you for your son Jesus who died for